Okay, today's podcast is with Jonathan Finnegan. Jonathan is a British award-winning film director and director of photography who's based in France and Hong Kong. And I invited Jonathan onto the podcast to chat about some of the work he's doing in the social sector, amongst other things. He recently worked on a documentary project called Share and the Loneliest Elephant, where they took a captive uh, elephant in Pakistan uh, over to Cambodia to be rehabilitated and eventually released back into the wild. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Here is my podcast with Jonathan Finnegan. It's been a while. It has been a while, a few years, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been a few years. Especially with COVID. As well. Have we started, by the way? We have, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it has been, especially with COVID, it's, you know, suddenly you realise a whole year or a year and a half has gone by before you've been to a place or, like, I, I haven't been back to China for a, since December 2019. Wow. So you were, and you were living there. I mean, that was where you were based, kind of doing your work and, and directing and filming. And so you kind yeah, of jumped, jumped out, of out of there and didn't get back. I was my 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 um, official base has always been Hong Kong, but I was kind of staying up in China a lot and kind of more or less living there. Um, and uh, but, but as soon as this COVID thing happened, it's you know it's changed everything because then I just couldn't get back. But yes, I was I was up there. I've, I've always wanted to live in China because I, I you know twenty odd years ago I started doing documentaries on China and started to learn quite a lot about its culture and its geography, its history, its people. And um you know, traveling there just made me fascinated with it. And then I, you know, a few years ago I just realized, you know what, if I don't go now, you know, may, when am I gonna go? So I just and I know quite a lot of people in Shanghai. It was I had been working up there quite a bit. So I, I decided to uh, move from Singapore and, and try out Shanghai which was great. Really enjoyed it. Fantastic cool. city to live in. Very different talk, from Singapore. Well, let's, I mean, we'd talk about a few of these things because it's really interesting for, you know, the listeners. I mean, actually, how did you end up doing work? You were doing work over in Asia, Asia many years ago, right? In terms of a, came, as, a, as a director, as a filmmaker. I came to Hong Kong in 1994. Okay. With, with a job at Star TV in Hong Kong, which is part of News Corp, it's part of Sky, Fox, that family of TV companies, which now been bought by Disney, I believe. But anyway, so back in 94, yes, it was Star TV. It was a very sort of enterprising, multi-channel plat- TV platform that, you know, it's very enterprising in nature. It was really it was breaking new ground back in those days. And um, it was full of very enterprising people, high quality individuals as well. I mean, I just learned so much being there over about eight years. Um, And it was a great place to work. You know, we broadcast from Hong Kong, Clearwater Bay, all over Asia, as far as the Middle East, in one direction, as far as I think you could even get it in Australia, you know, at that point in Japan, Korea, China, India, everything in between. So... It was, and my job was um, head of network production services. So I serviced all the channels, all the senior management for any projects that were kind of special, special projects. And so we got reasonable budgets to do things and um, quite a lot of creative leeway. And then I sort of went off and shot things in places like India and China and Indonesia and so on for weeks on end. It was great. I mean, that, 
obviously that's I mean it's still exciting doing that stuff now but I think back in the mid-90s it would have been a lot more exciting because you know it was just it was different then people weren't people were flying around but now taking COVID out of the picture because obviously the last year is, is different again but back in the 90s it must have been really exciting doing that work and, and jumping around the region and working on different projects I imagine. Well, it was. I mean, I was less travelled back in those days, you know, so it was all much newer to me as well. I still find it ex exciting, by the way. Um, but, you know, there were so many places I had never been back then. And, and for example, going to India in those days in the, in the sort of mid 90s was a much different experience than it is now. Certainly when just the, the arrival you know, back then, the, the I mean, now they've got brand new airports, which are world class. You look at Mumbai Airport, it's unbelievable. Mm. Delhi Airport, the same. But back in those days, they were ramshackled, sort of old, you know, really. Um, I, I was there in the mid 90s. Kind of I, I remember it in the mid 90s. I remember that airport. You come out of the airport and it's just total chaos in front of you. And, and the first time you go there, it is quite overwhelming. And the smell of the place hits you. I don't mean bad smell. I just mean a smell. You know, it just has its own smell. Same with Indonesia. Um, and, it, and it's just this mass of humanity greets you. And it's just total chaos. I, I, remember, I remember arriving in Delhi. And I think the first, because I went to India, I think I got there in 92 or something it was. I went on a three-month trip. First time out of the UK. Hottest day in India pasty ginger lad dropped in delhi in 45 degree heat it was just yeah i mean it was you can imagine because you'd have if you were around those places at that time it's yeah pretty kind of manic sensory experience right being dropped yes. into India. sensory sensory overload yeah for sure when you and, get of to and of course yeah, i mean let's i was going to leave this till later but let's chat about now as we're on that part of the world of course you just kind of been back there i mean not india but Pakistan and I watched um you know saw my girlfriend I watched your most recent documentary last week which was great the share and the loneliest elephant did I get the title right I did um did. which was I mean it was it was great interestingly it had us a bit teary and there was a couple of things I mean actually for me although it's sharing the lowliest the lowliest elephant the real character actually was the Indian chap that became you know really kind of befriended the the elephant and was i mean there was a number of people in that team but maybe before i talk about it too much do you want to just give us a quick brief on on what it was about and how it all came about okay so to answer i'll break that into two things then what it's about versus how it came and then how it came about so um what it's about it's a, it's about um the saving of kavan who's a 35 year old elephant in Margaza Zoo in Islamabad, Pakistan. Um, he had been in that zoo, well, he'd been in the zoo, he was the first one in there 35 years ago. They opened the zoo for him, I think, I believe, and he's he was the last one out because um, they closed the zoo down now. Uh, but he basically languished there, and, you know, I think he was he was the mahouts, that's the elephant keeper's some of them, I think they, you know, I think they thought they were sort of treating him well, but they just don't have the the expertise really to know. You know, they think that whipping them with a stick to get them to do stuff is okay, but it's just not. And then they gave him a an elephant partner from Bangladesh, but she died because 
she was in chains and the gangrene set in and went through her body and she died. So he was on his own for at least a decade after that. And then they put him in chains because he became depressed and um, a little bit violent and not surprisingly. Um, so really the, the story is about his rescue. And, but the bigger picture is, you know, about elephants in captivity in the first place. And then the bigger picture yet is animal, wild animals in captivity in the first place. So that's kind of more or less what it's about. The, the drama unfolds over about a period of about eight weeks prior to the, um, the actual rescue. It, you know, the, the, the day we actually got him out of Pakistan um, by plane. And I was there the entire, well, I mean, the, the vets had been there, they were there already. And I got there with my film crew. We shot locally with, uh, shot, we shot with a local film crew as well. And, um, you know, they were my support team. And, you know, we were there every day, every day for eight weeks until we got him out. And, you know, obviously there's some days which are big days, some days there's not so much to shoot. So we might've only gone to the zoo for an hour. For example, you know, there was one Sunday where there wasn't much. Dr. Amir went there, but I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily film him, him that day. It was just, it was rain, pouring with rain. It was very uh, miserable day. It was the only day we got like that really in the entire eight weeks. And so visually, I just wanted to get something a bit different from the zoo. Mm. So we just went there and filmed for an hour and a half or something, just got some shots of Kavan swaying, the rain falling on his, you know, in the puddles and dripping off the fence and some, some, some imagery like that. And then a, a much more substantial day would have been the move day itself, you know, which we were there at 7 a.m., filmed there all day till, till till he was basically in his crate and ready to be taken from the zoo. Then we filmed the move from the zoo to the airport, the the tarmac, you know, the, the, the getting the crate into the crane. Mm. And then the crane, the plane took off at 4 a.m. the following morning. So it's a big day. And then I didn't sleep on the plane. I was just filming. I wasn't filming every minute of the journey. There wasn't a huge amount to film, but that was a very big shooting day. So, you know, you... The day were you on, very were wild. you on that plane? Were you, were you on the same plane? Were you with the elephant? Did yes, there was uh, myself, Dr. Amir, who is yep. Egyptian, actually. Um, so Dr. Amir and his team, which was uh, one other vet, his assistant, and, and, another, and a media guy. So there's four of them plus me, and then the, the Russian pilots and that, like a couple of crew members. That's it. We were on the plane with the elephant and we were just in the same space with the elephant. He was just right beside me, basically. Hmm. Yeah, it was a great, I mean, I, how, when you shoot something like that as a director, I mean, you know, in, in a project, I mean, how do you, are you kind of emotionally involved in it in the process or are you just attached and shooting it as a documentary? Is it a, a bit of both? I mean, you know, do you take something away at a heart level in, with, with a project like that? Oh, big time. I mean, um, you can't be there eight weeks and see the development of the story and um, all the difficulties they went through, uh, all the challenges they faced, and not be 
you know, you start by sort of, you know, being a little bit shocked by hearing things or surprised by hearing things. And you're having a dinner with these people after, you know, at the end of the day or a drink or something like that. And, you, you know, you start rooting for them. You want, you want it to succeed. And then you start to see things like Bond of Amir and, and Kavan. And I remember when I interviewed Amir at the end, just as he was about to say goodbye to Kavan, and I could, I was so emotional, I could hardly get the question out. And that was well, made, that was the part that, made, that, that really made it worse for him. <laughs> that was the part that hit. I think you know, someone I watching it. That was when you. It, I mean, it was good from a TV point of view because you really saw the real, the realness of it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you genuinely yeah. you could see he was he had a real connection to this animal, and and yeah, it was it was emotional. I did want to see you were so you oh you were were you. Were you doing? You were doing all the questioning. Were you, were you? Were you behind the camera? Were you questioning? Were you directing? What was your? What, what was your kind of, um, you know, element to to those parts of the story? Then, I did all the interviews. Um, so I was asking all the questions. What I would do is I would just set up the because I I shot shot it as well as directed it. So I did. You have you shot? You were holding the camera and directing, or you were directing and you had a, a first AD or another cameraman with you. So um, a mixture. So, for example, with interviews, what I would do is I'd set up the shot, get it nicely framed, sit the person in, just check, and then I would get let someone else operate the camera to record. And if the sun suddenly came out, then that person would know just to stop down a little bit just to, so we didn't become overexposed and so on. But then I, I just stopped worrying about that because I know the framing's good. I trust the guy who's got his hands on the camera and I just concentrate on ask, asking the questions. And then with things like um, that move day that I just explained. Yep. So that day was total chaos, Get trying to get Kavan from his training crate into the transport crate as you would have seen there was hundreds of um uh news crews there from all over the world um yeah. it was it was a chaotic day even without that but that just added to the um the drama of the whole thing so to do that properly you really need at least two cameras so i was shooting everything that was close up next to the crate with close-ups of Dr. Amir, the elephant. I was constantly moving around it. And then I had another camera um, roving around, getting shots of the, um, you know, the, the, the journalists and the TV crews and other cutaway stuff. So when, where there was big action stuff, we had two or three cameras, a drone as well sometimes, all at the same time. Cool. I and I them what to do and then, but I just, then I just, I just trust that they're going to do it. And then I can't be checking what they're doing. By then, we've already been working together for weeks. So they kind of knew my style and what I, how I wanted to shoot it. And, um, you know, I would just concentrate on the shots I, I knew I needed to get. I do, I, there, there, of course, was the Thailand connection as well to um, Elephant Nature Park. I think she was on yes. there for a bit. Now, I wonder whether there'd been consideration of, of the elephant coming what was the cambodia do you know or is that another part of the story in terms of the the decision to go to cambodia what was was there a, i can't I don't think it covered why in the in the documentary but there was there a particular reason that it ended up cambodia or it was just a suitable kind of park national park for the elephant so 
I'm not. I don't know the answer to be honest. So if I whatever I say, I would be speculating a little bit. Fair enough. There is a connection between the Cambodia Wildlife Sanctuary and the Elephant Nature Park. Okay. Um, Derek, who is Lex's husband, he, he's based in Thailand, as you know, at the Elephant Nature Park. Mm. But he so he doesn't live in Cambodia, but he is in Cambodia now. And he is basically he 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 was the one that received Kavan, and and became responsible for basically rehabilitating him back from being a zoo elephant to a semi wild elephant in a sanctuary. When I say semi wild, I mean I don't. He can't really leave the sanctuary, but the sanctuary is a massive place. It's proper forest and everything, so it's it's as good as. Oh, it's the next best thing to being wild. You know, he's free to roam, forage for his own food, communicate with other elephants. He can go and have a swim and roll around in the mud and just do his own thing and, and properly do what elephants do. Which, you know, they walk many kilometers every day. Um, in a zoo, you can't do that. They need, they need interesting stuff around them. They need to work for their food because they're big units, right? Yeah. You can't just give them sugar cane all day and, and just let them sort of wander 50 meters up and down their enclosure that's just no good at all they're never going to burn those calories off and it's just not it's very unstimulating for their minds as well well it was um, i mean and that place was really well equipped because not only did it have all that national power but they had this great kind of big enclosure and it looked like a staged process of reintroduction to yeah that's the that's basically so. the quarant i think i don't know if he, it's stage one of his rehabilitation mm. um you know, he you can't just you can't just take him from being a zoo animal into and put him in the forest straight away. He just he wouldn't know what to do. And they also need to monitor his health and his weight and his mental well-being and all of that. So it's a they it's a it's a lengthy process. You know, he got there on the I think it was the 30th of November last year. That was the day we he landed in Cambodia. And um He's still in that first stage and stage stages two and three will um, stage two, when he goes into, into the next enclosure will be, I think at the end of May, beginning of June, and then might be another sort of three or four months, six months, even before he goes properly into the wild part of the sanctuary where he, they, he will depend less. He won't depend on humans at all Mm. at that point. He'll just be roaming around. Awesome. I mean, a cool story. Well done. I mean, great to be part of something like that. And really yeah, amazing. good to watch. Amazing. I think the great thing about it was I before I watched it, I kind of thought, oh, they're going to use the kind of share. Share was instrumental in it. But I thought, oh, they might just from a TV point of view use that. But they didn't actually. It was really nicely presented the way you put it forward. And you know, her role was well demonstrated, but they didn't kind of go, oh, it's all about share. It was like you know, they just showed what she did and the yeah. trainers, everyone was well represented in terms of their roles, which I thought was good filmmaking in terms of documenting the actual story. I did have to Google Cher's age. I was like, yeah, I mean, I was absolutely, I nearly fell off my chair when, you know, cause she looks about 50, which she of course isn't. Cause I was <laughs> thinking she's definitely not only a couple of years older than me, but she, uh, yeah, she's doing very well for, for, for the age she is. Did you, did you get to kind of, yeah, have dinner, chew the fat, get to get to chat to her. Uh, well, she came with. She turned out with fifteen people, so it was, that was okay. a bit tricky. But um, 
uh, we, and of course, you know, she, she was only there really for a, a couple of days. Um, and then we had the, she flew ahead to Cambodia by one day. We landed, then we had a day in quarantine, a day, sort of a, a day really. So she went to the sanctuary with Kavan when he landed. I had to go straight into hotel quarantine. So I, so, so there were, in the end, I probably only had like three or four days with her and she was kind of, she did her own thing in the evening. But, you know, she, I got, you know, I spent a reasonable amount of time with her. I had to brief her on what we were doing and direct her on set. And she's, you know, asked me questions. I said, that, you know, what do you, you know, we discussed what we were going to do. And, um, you know, I did that, the master interview with her in at the sanctuary and so on. Um, so, and that was, you know, like a sort of hour and a half interview, just talking one-on-one with her. So that was, well, I mean, so that was interesting. You know, it was well, good. I mean, the other, the other thing, the fact you managed to make this at the time you did, I mean, literally, I mean, such a challenging time to be, and fair play to her because most, you know, I think this, there's COVID and then there's the fear factor of COVID and the fact that she, you know, she got on a plane, came over was part of it is, is good to see. Cause it, you know, I imagine that added another level of complication in terms of, crew and logistics and everything else shooting something at a time where people are struggling with with this with the virus and stuff yeah i mean you're dead right there was two things one was covid so that so i mean hats off to her that she got on actually did get on the plane and and come during that time Mm. um because she is 74 and and you know we're a we're we're a bit younger so i mean i did get covid i think i told you that um but I wasn't, yeah, really, I wasn't going to, I didn't know whether you wanted to mention it, but you, you got it on the way through, right? With this process. So, yeah. Well, I got it, I got it right at the beginning of the Pakistan leg of the shoot. But then the second thing with Cher was the, just the security. And honestly, to tell you the truth, you know, it's, it, it's, it's up to her because she's the, she's the one that's got to feel comfortable. Mm. But if she had had no security at all, I'm sure no, no one would have known. She could have just come in a normal car, gone to the zoo. Yeah. It drew a lot of attention to her having been surrounded by um, ex-military So that, that, those 15 were all security? No, 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 oh, no, no, no. The sorry. security was on top of that. Oh, so wow. So she came with 15 people, just her entourage. Yeah. And then um, the security, there was a security team on top of that that flew in from... Wow the main guys from the UK, but he had people coming from Argentina and all over the place. Wow. There's another doc. There's another doc. There's another documentary in there somewhere. I mean, that in itself is is an interesting story that, you know, the the life of these security people who look after, look after the the rich and the famous. Very interesting. Yes. I mean, they assessed what we were going to shoot. They got there ahead of her, obviously, but only by a couple of days. And um, I wanted to take her to this. I mean, we were in a, five-star hotel that's where we were based she stayed in the same hotel as us the zoo's 10 minutes away um so that's and it's a diplomatic city so you it's very hard even to get to where we are in in the hotel it's not like a just anyone can drive up and then when you get to the gate you can't get in unless you're staying there or you're cleared or whatever so it is it's quite secure anyway but then she i wanted to take her to this um village called Sidepoor village which is a proper village and it's where the Kavan's first elephant keeper 
his first keeper um, lived. And I wanted to take her there, which we did. And she and she went. She was happy to awesome. go there. I made her walk through the village. People slaughtering goats to the left and to the right <laughs> as it was going on. It was uh, got quite good footage of that. <laughs> awesome. Wow, man. Yeah, well done. I mean, I, I think it sounds like a rewarding project as well. I mean, obviously, it's a rewarding project, you know, yeah. being able to be part of the 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 crew and you know in, in a process of freeing an elephant so yeah cool it's um i mean any other projects on the on the horizon that you can mention in that kind of vein in the with this you know in the in the kind of social space or or you know anything else you're doing around that well i'm not sure if i can really say too much about it but more more on elephants with a little bit more with elephant nature park and cambodia oh, cool. wildlife sanctuary Oh, for sure. So that that will be a much bigger project. It'll be multi-episode thing, and it, the the nature of it is similar, but it won't involve um, international uh, transport of elephants. It's just just within Thailand and Cambodia. Cool. Well, it's that an interesting. It's it's an interesting space. I mean, what you touched on before. I mean, that whole when you just at the beginning of this this conversation or this part of the conversation. I mean that this whole sector if you want to call it that i mean you know people now know it's not good to hit elephants it's not good to ride elephants it you know not everyone but it seems to be kind of common knowledge and these you know like the park in cambodia like lex i mean there are there's there's two up here i mean they are everywhere now which is great to see there's a there's a whole been a whole kind of movement around elephant sanctuaries versus elephant riding and i, I don't know where they'll end up whether they will eventually you know, put those elephants back into the wild, but the sanctuaries themselves are vast in terms of, you know, the the the, the size and the, and the the wildlife containment. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting interesting space. Yes, and you know, the truth is, if we if we had made this film without Cher, not not many people would have. Yeah, it would have been seen. It would it would have been a nice film. Um, but it wouldn't have necessarily got the global platform that it has. So without even trying, that's what she brings to it. She brings it to a very big audience worldwide just because she's in it. And, and that's, as, that's as much as anything, her contribution. She, 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 the level to which she brings it, it just brings an awareness to it, to the general public people who kind of had half an interest in it would tune and watch it and become more interested in it and they would realize it isn't okay to ride elephants and make them paint pictures and stand on their back legs and do tricks and stuff like that yeah it does um i mean it's just this is the reality of it right of filmmaking i mean you, you get a big name it you know it's everything whether it's movies whether it's documentaries whatever it is i mean it's it it, it just helps to you know get the audience, create the awareness, get the content out there, get people watching it. It does make a yeah. huge difference. You remind me as you're talking then, actually, I hadn't had this as something to talk about, but it is interesting, um, which is the, you did some stuff around fighting as well, right? In, in China some time ago, the white collar boxing. Yes. Boxing. Stuff. Yes. It's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day because I, I don't know whether you watch the UFC and it's that whole, you know, the whole fighting space during COVID has been Dana White's done an incredible job of, keeping that alive but i know you did the stuff you did was different it was what the white collar boxing 
in China. Is that right? I remember Shanghai, it in, yeah. Sing, in Shanghai. How was that? And Mike Tyson was involved in that, right? I've seen pictures of you with. Uh, he wasn't with, involved in it. I just met him because I was doing it and oh, he was okay. interested to talk about it. And I met him a couple of times. And that was my first, that was my introduction to boxing. Actually, I didn't I didn't know particularly anything about boxing up to that point, but I did that series, which was an eight part series, and um, we shot the whole entire thing in Shanghai with people learning to box and then eventually fighting in a ring in front of you know two thousand people. These are the city. These are like the office lads. That one that they used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they were just okay. regular people. They were, they were, um, just like you and me, you know. But there was, you know, they were just. I mean, people who had not never done boxing before. All of them, except except younger, maybe. Except <laughs> younger, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd be doing it right now, but um, <laughs> exactly. So, so anyway, that was interesting. I really enjoyed making that series. It was good fun, and I think it turned out pretty well as well, actually. Oh, cool. I mean, you, you've been making content around the region for years. How's it changed? Like the, that's a big question I know because there's many elements to filmmaking, but is it, I mean, when you think back to the, the kind of mid nineties, you were saying, I mean, that's some time ago, the equipment's changed, the, the method of filmmaking's changed, the way of getting content out there has changed. I mean, the whole, you've kind of been through it and watched the industry change. And I don't know, and this is my perception as someone who's, been in it slightly but more on the outside I mean it feels for me the last 10 years particularly certainly on the selling side of media and how it's consumed has drastically changed and yeah I mean that you what are those changes you've seen what's the good the bad of that you know do you prefer it today was it better back then or a bit of both yeah um god there's so much in there too it's hard to know where to start with that with with that um well the bit that I know less about, so I'll kind of leave that part. Is the is the is the sort of let, let me ask. Let me ask in a different way to make it easier. Then, it, you, is it easier to make to make? Is it easier today than it was twenty years ago? That's probably that question could be answered in a number of different ways as well. Yes. I know. So but, let me. Yeah. It depends what you mean by easier. It's more. It's more accessible. So, just for example. You know, just getting your hands on the equipment. When I was first shooting stuff in the even as even in the early two thousands, I made this documentary called Marco Polo um, for National Geographic, and all of that was shot on film. We, you know, you have to have you can't just you can't just pick up the camera and shoot it yourself. You've got to have a so you, you need at least two people to just just around the camera and that's really sm small for operating a film camera um because the, the clapper loader needs to also be the focus puller as well if you're doing stuff with tricky focus pulls um and you know loading the film in and out and it's heavy equipment and it's i mean it weighs way more than these modern cameras now so, it, you know, shooting aerials, you really need to either get up in a hot air balloon or a helicopter. Um, now you just take a drone and it fits in your hand luggage. You know, it's um, and the quality is pretty good and you get a slightly bigger one. You can even fix different lenses on it. So you're not even reliant on just a big super wide lens. So, I mean, you know what you can do. And the accessibility of the equipment, it basically means anybody could go out and make content. Yeah. 
when you say easy, it doesn't make it the challenge of the storytelling is still is always there. So just because it's more, I think you, I think it would, I think it means that a couple of things: a well-crafted, well-made, well-executed, well-thought-through film is still a very difficult thing to do. Just because the equipment is more accessible doesn't mean to say that it's easier to make a, a really good film. I think people's uh, tolerance of quality uh is different you know yeah it's it's perfectly acceptable to put in iphone footage or footage that's you know if it's archive of something that really happened um but it's just and it's shot by someone who happened to be there seeing it that was the and you know it was an, an incident that happened that's 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 archive footage which might not be the best quality but it's important for the narrative it's perfectly acceptable to use that in a documentary without compromising the overall you know you can put that in a, a, around stuff that's been professionally shot and it works um if you made an entire film like that people might just not be able to take the fact that the camera's wobbling all over the place poorly framed that the audio is terrible you know you couldn't make an entire film like that necessarily but using it as archive is fine um so i think you know that the, the the way people's um they sort of consume their content is very different from how it was mm. you know when we grew up in 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 the uk for example you're used to seeing things properly shot. Camera doesn't move it, as dynamically. All of these kind of things. It's very interesting when you look at movies. I mean, the this the kind of CGI element to movies, which has been around for some time, but def obviously makes it easier. You know, in 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 certain ways, if you want to recreate something that's on a page in a script, does it make it better? Is massively debatable. You know, so my girlfriend, I've been watching. Um, movies from like the mid 90s recently uh forget the one with tommy lee jones and i mean the storytelling I, I don't know whether i'm just i feel like a bit of a moaning older person when i do this you know what oh the films were so much better but it does seem to be there is that there is this the kind of mass audience um consumption of the you know the superhero movies the, the obvious ones i mean it, it does seem to be a lot of expensive crap that is is pumped out there now and there's still some nuggets of artistic wisdom in there as well but i do i do wonder how much has changed whether the audience just you know doesn't hunger for great stories in the same way and it, just the way people respond to online content films they want to be kind of punched in the head with effects and yeah it's it's a very it's different than it was 30 years ago but i i do feel there's a lack of decent stuff out there and I, just from my own personal view of churning through stuff on Netflix and looking at older movies and, and some of the great stories and yeah I do wonder whether the ease has maybe disrupted to a level where there's you know you have to really go and find the great stories these days because it's buried under a lot of um, not so great stuff you know well I mean if you go to film festivals around the world you realize that there's a lot of very good films being made but don't necessarily get seen you know in the in your local cinema hmm. um 
but they might appear, they'll certainly appear at film festivals here and there, and they might get local distribution and they might appear in, if they're lucky, they might appear in airline movies that carry lots of foreign films, um, you know, like Emirates or Cathay or Singapore Airlines, for example. Um, but the main blockbusters, they sort of take the limelight, don't they? Yeah. When you say crap, I mean, it's, the effects and the art, you know, the art, the, the way they're executed is unbelievably good. That bit isn't crap. The way they're shot is unbelievably good. It's the story you're talking about. It's how it grips you and an emotional level. You know, it's just a, it's, it's very, you know, they try to bring a bit of, if the actors can bring a bit of depth to it, that's great. Um, but there's only so much they can do with a, with the script they have. So if you're, if you sort of go and watch, I don't know, superheroes movie. Don't be surprised that it doesn't have that much depth. Yeah, the one that sticks with... in my head is is I think Batman versus Superman, which is probably not a good benchmark for great. I've movies. never seen it. I don't intend <laughs> to go and waste my time, yeah, to don't. be honest. Um so is it crap? I mean, to a degree, I suppose. Yeah, it's not my cup of tea particularly, but then, it, you know, I think there is a place for these things. You know, people want to be, some people just want to go and be entertained. And, some, and people don't want to go and see something that's thought-provoking because they're just, they're tired. They just want to sit in front of something. And, and the, you know, not talking about, we're talking about well-educated, you know, people who would, who would want to do that as well. It's not... Um, people who aren't educated particularly it's you know you would see people of our age who have you know university degrees all they want to do at the end of the day is sit in front of something and be entertained that's it not interested in anything else plenty of people like that that's why lots of that's why they're so popular Indeed. nothing wrong with that to, to some extent there's there's also a place for more thought-provoking material as well and you and it might be the mood you're in whether you want to go and see something like that I, on the flip side, actually, I just, I'm, I'm not going to contradict myself, but I just saw that, is it Nomad, the film that just won? Um, Nomadland, yeah. Nomadland. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? I mean, I just looking at it. that, I, it looks good. And I, I uh, forget her name, but I, and, but I know that you, I know you particularly like her acting. She's been in some great movies that I know we both like. So I look forward to watching that. And hopefully it is. Yeah. Um, it, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a, you know, a decent movie. So I look forward to kind of watching that when, when I get time. Yeah, me too. I haven't seen it either. Wait, how long wait, did you always know you wanted to be in, in, you know, in this space, making movies, directing, was it something you, you know, as a, as a young man, all those years ago, uh, that you, even as a boy, really, were, were yeah. you doing, I mean, were you doing what you were mucking around doing stuff? Was it kind of obvious you wanted to take this path? Um, well, I went to art college straight from school. I did art, with you know went to art college was always had a camera in my hand did sort of you know as soon as i was able to work, worked out where the on button was and i had a had a, you know take the lens cap off and started shooting stuff and made stuff um you know and uh, as part of the college you know the 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 course i did was it encouraged you to try different things so some people i i particularly did filmmaking yeah um but other people went off and did all sorts of other things and um 
the degree I did was graphic design, actually. But as part of that, I spent a lot of time filmmaking. So, yes, I'm as happy as Larry when I was making stuff. It wasn't very good, but at least I at least I made a start. And that and, was on, uh, that was on the cusp of analog to digital, right? I imagine back then was it when everything it was, was, it was on the cusp of analog to digital. So everything was on tape. You had beta cam tapes, and then you had digital beta cam tapes, and it was like, oh my god, digital beta cam—that's the top of the line. And then, then when you really got good, you started. They started trusting you with shooting on film. Yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a few years in a recording studio back then, different but very, some similarities. But it was when we went from, yeah, everything went from splicing tape to DAT. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was a massive well, shift in in yeah, massive shift. Did. When when I yeah. when when I when we were doing um sound recording, it was all on tape. There was just reams, reams of tape everywhere that was recorded mm. onto. So we'd record a voiceover and all these reels were going around. And then he would literally cut bits out physically. It's unbelievable. I mean, in, in and if you think about it, the technology. The principle is the same in now. You still cut and splice. It's just not. It's just a non-physical thing. Yeah, I can remember doing it. Um, that was my job. In the, you know, it was like, zzz, zzz, and then cutting through with a knife yeah. and sticking bit, sticking bits together. Now you do it on a computer. I mean, it's 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 just in the digital realm rather than the physical realm. But yeah, ultimately, but the, the process, process is still the same. You still got to try it. You still got to put two shots together, for example, see if they work. If they don't, you try something else. Or cut at a different point. That's always been the way. It's just, it's just how you do it is a bit different. It's arguably quicker to do it these days, so it gives you more flexibility in terms of trying things out because you can do it quicker. Hmm. Certainly better than tape to tape. We had to had to you had to dump off the you know the the ten minutes that that. After the cut, you sort of say, "Oh, I want to put a shot in there," I and mean, it was a nightmare. <laughs> 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 Things have changed. So, what's what's next, Jonathan? What's on the? You obviously you're in Hong Kong. You you're back in back in Asia, and yeah, what's what's next on the horizon for you? Well, um, now that I'm here, I'm sort of yeah, just just reestablishing my uh, contacts in Hong Kong and the region. Um, doing some just won a pitch actually for a job um, with a production company in Singapore, which I'm going to be shooting virtually for a client. So it's kind of branded content. So that's good. That's the kind of bread and butter level of work. But on the bigger picture, I'm I'm partnering with uh, the production company that I worked with in um, the UK to make the elephant film on a number of other projects, which. Uh, one of which is an ele another elephant project, and we've got a few other ones in the in the pipeline as well. One of them, in fact, involves going back to Pakistan, which that would be that's the one I'm really looking forward to, to be honest, because I loved Pakistan. Awesome! I've never been there. Obviously, been to India a lot, but yeah, you, that that's you loved the place. Did you just what in really terms of it. shooting there, or just culturally and everything? You got, you got everything. some time off there, did you as well? Uh, didn't get so much time off, but we were. Well, on an off day, we went up to Peshawar, um, which is on the Afghanistan border. And I brought the camera with me because I knew we would get good visuals. So it was kind of a sort of a relaxed shooting day. I didn't even have a camera assistant. I just took, it was just me, the executive producer and my location producer, all of whom come from the UK. We just went up there for a day out and awesome. with a view that I would, they would give me time to shoot stuff. So... 
got some really nice visuals when we just as we were driving into the city there was a there was a road with all of these incredible vehicles you know these things that are stacked way high with you've seen it before in time oh, it's everywhere here yeah and pulled by <laughs> buffaloes and all in trucks that are painted amazing colors and incredibly busy and higgledy-piggledy all over the place stuff going in all sorts of directions didn't seem to be any 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 uh organization at all but no one ever crashed into anyone else so you know you stop there for sort of 45 minutes and just let me get on the long lens and pick out some nice shots and all those shots made it you know those shots were sprinkled in here and there um and just some local color to remind you where you are rather than um just shots of the zoo could be anywhere awesome well hopefully that yeah hopefully you get up there again soon so yeah if, if people want to want to follow you want to look at some of your work what is it vimeo i assume is the best place do you want to is, is that yeah, the best place to go a, and look um, at some of your work do you want to share vimeo, your vimeo so channel I'm, I'm I'll put, terrible I'll, you know I, I i'll put the link in the notes but sorry go on i'll put the link I, in the I, notes I, but share it as well yeah yeah so so thank you for that yes um i I'm terrible at my own PR. So I had, I did have a website, which was ancient. I've now just revamped it because I've realized that with this elephant thing, that people are going to be looking me up, which they are. Um, so I've just replaced that with a single page. It's luckydevilfilms.com. Cool. And if you go to that, you'll see a single page with a link, a Vimeo link to the rest of my work. And, and on the front page, there's, there's the trailer of my elephant film with share and a, a, a review from Variety and that, and a, a, like a, a short paragraph on who I am. But if you awesome. want to, then there's a link, the Vimeo link, Lucky Devil Films is where you would see my work, vimeo.com backslash Lucky Devil Films. All right. Well, luckydevilfilms.com and, and people can, can go and find out more. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, look, it's been good to, good to to catch up to chat yeah you and, too as well yeah nice to yeah. see you it's been a while hasn't it when it, it has well things get better we hopefully we can meet up in thailand and let's a, hope yeah. so i got a feeling it's going to be a bit longer but unfortunately otherwise we could go and watch some um lions rugby in about three months but i, I think know. I'm, yeah I, I, high, it's highly unlikely we're going to be watching that anywhere in this country Seems like it, doesn't it? Are, so, yeah unfortunately but um yeah look be good to chat take care and um yeah, we shall definitely cross paths physically again at some point in the future. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Nice to nice to see you, mate. And and um, I'd I'd like to just tell me where the podcast is. I probably won't listen to the whole thing again, but um, be nice to, to just to sort of see it placed somewhere. I will share it with you for sure. Terrific. Thank All you, right, mate. Cheers. All right. Look after yourself. And you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Task Podcast and hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself, Matt, or one of the team, then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers. Cheers.